in New York City when I was an undergrad. People don't really talk about the emotional aspect in their work because they're trying to be like, oh, I'm making artwork because I am actually good at it. You know, not because I need a way to express my feeling, not because I am doing art as a therapy, right? But when I got to Florida, I feel like there's this mix where a lot of people would talk about the emotional aspect of their work. They talk about personal trauma, perhaps, or inspiration or identity. This is Art Is, a podcast for artists, where we brainstorm the future of the art world and the creative industries. My name is Cindy Leung. I was born and raised in Hong Kong, and then I got my BFA at Queens College, City University of New York, and then I got my MFA at University of Florida in Gainesville, Florida. And now I am based in Kansas City, Missouri, for our year-long residency at Belcher Art Center. In terms of my creative background, I make sculpture. I make little sculpture out of silk tea and porcelain specifically to kind of like talk about my personal journey because I travel a lot. And so I'm using this material as a way to talk about perhaps a little bit of consumerism and colonization as well as hybrid culture. That's so interesting. I can't wait to hear more about your creative work. But before we dive in, could you tell us a little bit about your experience with your BFA and your MFA? Yeah, I actually did not go to art school, so I can't really speak to the experience in terms of like what it's like to be in an art school or how helpful art school are in terms of professional development. And I just went to a regular university for my BFA and MFA. And so in terms of learning how to manage or just learning art business skill, I would say they provided very minimal help. I didn't learn how to start a business. I didn't learn how to map out a business plan or, you know, I don't know anything about getting a business loan or market myself as an artist. And I had to learn how to figure out the Instagram algorithm. So I would say that going to universities didn't really help me in terms of starting my own art business. And this is something that I'm still learning. But what I learned in school is that they always give you like opportunity to do, let's say, pottery sale or doing craft fair for fundraising for art clubs, right? And so I think in planning all these events and actually working the events allows somebody to learn how to like professionally sell your work in that sense. What about you? Did you learn how to manage an art business at school? Because you mentioned that your schooling is pretty traditional. No, I did not. It was very minimal as well at my university. And so how did you get the courage and the practice to begin your art business? Was it a lot of looking at what other people were doing or just kind of learning as you go? How did you kind of put yourself in the position to learn? It really takes a lot of courage to keep applying for opportunities. 
I have a very good friend and she got a lot of opportunities. And I'm not saying that I don't get jealous, but I also felt like I'm getting jealous of certain people getting certain opportunity. I'm also trying to rationally think and consider, okay, how did this person get this opportunity? Like, is there something that she did or they did that I didn't do? And perhaps by having the courage to ask them, you know, I learned something from them, right? And so right now I just started to sell my work uh, very recently. And I think I learned that through talking to my friends from Instagram. Also, I talked to other artists who have been selling their work through galleries and art center or exhibitions. And I asked about their experience, right? Where should I start? Should I start from doing craft fair? Should I start from selling through Etsy or Instagram? Or, you know, I'm just trying to figure out what some of the good avenues I can employ in order to make a profit out of my artwork, out of something that I enjoy doing. And so this is something that I'm still learning. The other day I was just talking to my student that a lot of us are not exactly extroverts. And I would have I would have to say that because I wasn't born and raised in this country in America. I feel very conscious about my English ability, right? And so I feel like for the first five years in America, I I wasn't like a social butterfly exactly, right? And that's something that I keep practicing. I keep going to exhibitions, opening, try to introduce myself, and I keep trying to talk to other artists. And so I think the point here is that if you can't do it today, you can do it tomorrow. If you can, take a big step, take a smaller step. And eventually you'll get to the point where you have the courage to walk up to a gallerist and be like, hey, what is the possibility of me showing my work at your gallery? And then by doing that, maybe the gallerist would be like, hey, I'm sorry, but no, it doesn't work like that. Or maybe the person would be like, oh, yeah, you can send your portfolio through email. Or the person would be like, oh, do you have a studio at a certain place that I can come visit? You know, I just don't know what the possibilities are. And so I need to have the courage and go and find out and ask. And that's what I'm trying to do right now. That's awesome. So before we talk more about your business, I'd love to learn more about your creative practice. So could you tell us about what you're working on now and kind of how you got there? So this line of work that I'm doing right now, I so as I mentioned earlier, I use silk tea and porcelain in my work because I consider these material originated in the East and popularized in the West through trading, through colonization. And because I was born and raised in Hong Kong, I felt like this material really speaks to my identity and the way that how they travel, right? It kind of speaks to my personal journey because I study abroad and now I'm selling down in America. And so I think of the journey that certain things travel in order to get to our hands. 
like a lot of things nowadays made in China. And so I look at them as like, I think about all how they were made, um, what kind of journey or how long it took for certain product to arrive in our hands. And so I'm using these materials to talk about that aspect, but also in making hybrid object, right? Hybrid as in materially hybrid object, I am also talking about the culture that I am growing up in or that I grew up in because growing up as a Hong Kong Chinese, I think that, you know, there's like European culture that I absorbed without knowing it until I came to America and I encountered Chinese people from mainland China. And I, and I realized that, hey, I don't speak Mandarin. I didn't grow up speaking Mandarin and the culture is so different. And I felt like I was being isolated from a group of people that is supposed to be my people quote unquote, my people. And so I am trying to find where I belong in a sense in making materially hybrid work. So that's where I'm at right now. And if you look at my work, each work is titled with a verb. And that has a lot to do with the way I learn English because as a kid, my English teacher would always correct me and say, hey, Cindy, if you want to talk about an action, a verb, you would have to put the word to in front of the verb so that I know that you're talking about an action, right? So like, for example, the word Polish means people from Poland, right? But then if you put to, to Polish, then it means completely something different. And that's something that I think about every day, right? The nature of the word, the meaning of the word, how it changes by just putting a small thing in front of it, if that makes sense. That's so interesting. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your ceramics work and like your experience with 3D ceramic printing or like some of these kind of different integrations of technology. It's really fascinating and I was just curious. Yeah, that was something that I had a lot of fun learning in grad school. When it first came out, everybody's like, whoa, this is so cool. This is so fun. You know, like I don't have to ever touch the clay, right? I can just design everything. And then the clay printer would just like magically do it for me, right? It's like, oh, you know, making work has never been easier. But I think that in learning that, in experimenting it, with the technology, I learned that it takes a lot of vulnerability <laughs> to find out that I'm actually bad at something and and that things don't always pan out the way you want it to be, right? And so when that happened, you know, I'm not trying to have my ego to get in the way. I'm trying not to get frustrated and like, oh, you know, like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is stupid. Like, I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to like solve the problem so that I could use this skill and put it on my belt so that when I apply for jobs or when I apply for a certain opportunity, I can say that, hey, you know, I know, I noticed that your facility has this kind of equipment and I have the experience, I have the skill set to use this equipment. And so I could be an asset for your school or art center. And so these are the things that I'm concerned when I'm trying new technology in ceramics. And in doing so, I actually got an opportunity back in 2019, right before COVID, 
to go to China and taught a uh, five-week summer workshop on ceramic 3D printing at this prestigious ceramic institute in Jingdezhen, China. And it was a very fascinating experience because the students were, they were like industrial design students, like they knew nothing about ceramic and their 3D modeling technique, like skill-wise, like the software and everything, like they were really good. They were like top-notch. And I felt like, you know, there's really like nothing I can teach them about the software, right? And I felt like I learned a lot from my student at that time. I think my role there was to tell them that, hey, you know, the printer works in certain way that your design, your computer design probably would not support, right? And it might look amazing on the computer, but when you print it, you know, you have to consider like the weight of the clay or how the machine works. And there's like technical aspect that I could tell them. And so I could see from their faces that, hey, they're like translating this like computer image into this technology and into like actually how it would pan out. And so that's something that I really enjoy from teaching that summer course. And was that like one of your first experiences teaching? I know that you pursue teaching as well. Could we learn a little bit about how that practice came to be? Yeah, I would say that was my first time officially teaching a university course. But before that, I've taught uh, summer camp and community classes in New York. But that's very different because there was no grading. There was no conceptual development. But in university, like in a grad program, they usually provide a stipend. They provide teaching opportunities so that when you graduate, right, you already have some teaching experience. So it would be easier for you to find teaching opportunity, which is what I am doing right now. And how have you found being on the other end? So being like both a student and now also being a teacher, have you been able to kind of integrate some of your own experiences as a student to then being a teacher? I know that you said that when you were in China, you learned so much from your students, which I'm sure happens every day. But I'd love to hear a little bit about how you feel about that kind of hybridity of going between student and teacher yourself. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think that because I am fresh out of grad school, I graduated in 2021. It was still in the middle of the pandemic. And so I wasn't really interested in teaching because I didn't really want to do online teaching because personally, I find that not engaging at all. And how do you teach a studio class from a computer, right? And so I took a break. But I think that because I'm fresh out of grad school, I have much more compassion in terms of like understanding my student needs, right? Because I was a student very recently. And so I understand that what I have hope from my teacher and now I could do that with my student, right? I had, I had hope that, hey, you know, I hope that my professor would provide more professional development advices, right? Perhaps my professor could provide opportunity to teach me how to work with mixed material more often instead of just ceramic focus. 
And so that's something that I am trying to do with my student. And right now I'm only teaching a community uh, college. And so the criteria for student to succeed is very different from a graduate program. It's much more relaxed compared to grad program. And so I'm focusing on how to help them build up a professional portfolio so that they could apply for, let's say, a BFA program or even a certain scholarship opportunity. So that's my focus right now. Yeah. I think it's really cool that you're inspiring students from the community college level already with, you know, the kind of skills and resources that they need to pursue a more professional practice. Because as you mentioned earlier, when you were in your BFA and MFA program, that wasn't a big focal point in your program. And I know that that's a very common experience for artists who went to university for art. And I was wondering how you feel about teaching that kind of skill set. And how do you help your students understand the kind of business skills that they need or the kind of communication skills? Because just even going up to someone and sharing about your work is really complicated and takes a lot of confidence. So how do you encourage other emerging artists and students to start doing that? If you were talking to a group of students who were very early in their career, what would you say to them as advice? So when I was teaching in my grad program, it was still in the middle of the pandemic. There weren't a lot of opening. And also it really depends on where you are. I was staying in a small town in Florida. And so there were only like a couple galleries and there weren't a lot of opening happening every Friday night. So it's not like I could tell my student, hey, you know, this Friday is first Friday art walk. There would be like five gallery opening in the area you should go check it out and like talk to other artists maybe you'll meet local artists you know it wasn't like that and now that i'm in a bigger city i'm in kansas city missouri right now i could tell student that oh you know this is the first friday art walk in this area there are 10 galleries opening you should at least go to one of them and try to talk to one person and you don't have to say much just say hi my name is blank. I do this, you know, and then if that person reciprocate in a friendly way, perhaps you could like give them your business card or perhaps make a friend, you know, exchange Instagram. I feel like the younger generation actually is so much better in terms of the Instagram thing than me. I feel like I learn a lot from them and I talk to my student, you know, I tell my student that, hey, you know, like you're not going to get to my level in one day, like it took me like years to work up the courage to talk to other people at galleries opening. And I, I still struggle with that sometime, but I felt like, you know, with opening, there's always a lot of things going on. And so, you know, if the conversation doesn't go well, you can always just say, Hey, I'm going to go get a drink. I'll be right back. And then never return. <laughs> I don't know if, if you're like that, you know, but I found that very helpful. If you sense that, you know, the person is not reciprocating. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's funny, but even just like breaking it down like that is really great because it helps you remember that it's just communication skills at the end of the day. 
Yeah, yeah. And I feel like I learned a lot just by talking to other artists or just by like eavesdropping somebody's conversation in a gallery. I felt like I learned how to market myself. I learned how to talk about my work in a different way, right? Perhaps or you know, some people talk about the emotional aspect of their work much more often than using big words or certain ideology. I feel like the conversation kind of vary in different environments. I feel like in New York City, when I was an undergrad, people don't really talk about the emotional aspect in their work because they're trying to be like, oh, I'm making artwork because I am actually good at it. You know, not because I need a way to express my feeling, not because I am doing art as a therapy, right? But when I got to Florida, I feel like there's this mix where a lot of people would talk about the emotional aspect of their work. They talk about personal trauma, perhaps, or inspiration or identity. And my initial response to that when I first got to Florida, I was like, where is the professionalism, you know? But then the, as time go by, I feel like I become much more flexible, right? I feel like every time I make work or everybody when everybody make work, I can see that there's always a personal connection in their work, right? And so in a way, I feel like everybody is making identity work social justice work. I mean, it does sound like it has nothing to do with the person's background or life, but I felt like there's got to be something about this person that strongly associated with that movement. And so that is why this person or this artist choose this topic, right, for their work. And so by hearing, like, conversation or by hearing how artists talk about their work, I become so much more flexible in a way, I talk about my work, right? Like, depending on who you are, like, if it's, like, artist to artist, like, right now, I would talk about the emotional aspect of my work and also the research that goes into my practice, right? But if it's, like, at a university setting or if I'm giving out an artist talk, perhaps I would not talk so much about my emotional aspect of the work, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I think that's such an interesting point about balancing that kind of internal dialogue with this more of a professional way of explaining your work. And I was wondering, how do you think that applies to the opportunities that you're pursuing, whether that's finding a gallery or an artist residency or, you know, pursuing public projects? Like, how do you balance the way that your practice evolves creatively with the professional choices that you want to make and like the goals that you set. Because I feel that often we're comparing ourselves to other artists' paths and maybe the kind of work that we make is so different to theirs that it wouldn't really make sense to follow that path. But because there's so little transparency around professional trajectories for artists in the creative industries, we find ourselves a little bit lost and at times in this kind of loop of insecurity and jealousy. Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with uh, trial and error. I mean, in terms of residency or professional opportunities, I really think it's really a number game. Like last year, I think I applied for 25 opportunities, 25 residency in the country, and I only got four interviews. And then at the end, I think I only got accepted into three. 
And so it's really a number game, but I felt like every time I write a residency proposal for these opportunities, like I adjust it a little bit, right? I look at the art center and I look at their past resident. I look at their resident work and I try to like talk to them on Instagram, right? Instagram is a great tool for that. But I also, you know, look at the work and see how much they talk about the emotional aspect in their work or do they just talk about their research, right? How do they justify what they're making, you know, and why they're making that? And so I feel like it really depends on the setup, right? If you are at a research-heavy residency, then perhaps you don't want to talk so much about your personal life and how it influenced your artwork. Perhaps that should be like 20% of your work or your proposal, right? And 80% would be like, I'm doing this because of this research, right? But right now from where I'm at, I felt like there's a very good balance between the professional research and the personal aspect in my work, right, of my personal life. And so when I propose, I think I remember that, hey, I, I would like to continue making the mixed media work that I've been making, but in a larger scale. And perhaps I could also write poetry that inspire me to make more work. And so when it's come to poetry, that's my way, that's my outlet for my private life in a way. I mean, it's easy for me to say that, hey, you know, figure it out and fill it out. Um, but it's really about experimenting and like, you know, trial and error. Like if I didn't get this opportunity, maybe next time if I apply for this opportunity again, I should adjust my proposal a little bit. Right. I think that's my approach. Maybe somebody would tell me that, no, I'm doing it wrong. I should absolutely 100 percent of the time, maintain my professional facade and only talk about my research. But I think at this point of my life, I feel like I see benefit in being the authentic me much more than maintaining a facade that could easily fall off anytime. I have a website, it's www.cindyclsy.com. I'm also on Instagram at cindyclsy. I have a lot of in-progress picture. I share a lot of my friends' work as well just to promote a healthy way to like promote my peer. So, Thank you for listening to Art Is, a podcast for artists. Please leave Art Is, a podcast for artists, a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find us. Also, I would love it if you took a moment to reflect on who in your life might also benefit from listening to this podcast. When you do, please share Art Is, a podcast for artists with them so we can continue to grow the show organically and brainstorm the future of the art world together. You can also support the work I do by subscribing wherever you listen and by donating to the podcast. The link to do so is in the episode description. Okay, that's it for now. Thanks so much and see you next Wednesday.